Good afternoon, and thank you for listening to Camille's Demi Hour on 89.5 Nantucket's NPR station. This is a 30-minute show dedicated to sharing an inside perspective of the Epicurean world here on Nantucket Island. You will hear from those voices who've helped create and represent this fascinating place. And lastly, we hope to educate on wine, healthy cooking, and the agricultural and sustainable community here on island. Good afternoon, everybody. This is Camille Broderick, host of Camille's Demi Hour. On the show, we interview a lot of different people within the food and wine industry, especially those who are local and involved in this community. However, I do like to interview and speak to people that I have connected with and that have a relationship to Nantucket. And with us today is the legendary winemaker, Alessia Antonori from the House of Antonori, one of the oldest or perhaps the oldest family-owned business on the planet. Do you want to say something about that? Is that true? Why don't we start there, Alessia? Hello to everybody. It's a great pleasure to be with you today. And yes, we are quite legendary family, especially because of the history, I would say, because we go back more than 600 years of involvement in the business. Um, and I'm part with my two sisters of the 26th generation. And uh, we are very uh, in process of huge responsibility, but also a big challenge to try to transmit uh, our values to the future. Maybe, who knows, 26 generations. So 26 generations is almost overwhelmingly impossible to conceive that something can last that long. Is it true that it is the oldest business? I would say one of the oldest businesses uh, within the same family with the same name. Uh, it goes back to the year 1000, almost 1100, when um, uh, one of our ancestors was a silk producer at the time and uh, decided and was living outside the city of Florence and decided that he wanted to live inside the border, the walls of Florence. And uh, he, um, they started to, uh, at that time, to be merchants of wine because who was really producing the wines were the priests in the countryside. And they were producing the wine and then uh, drinking the wine. And whatever remained that wasn't a lot, uh, we were uh, trying to sell it in the city of Florence. So um, at the time we entered in 1385 the wine guild, so the Arte dei Vinatieri, uh, with our uh, family ancestor called Giovanni di Piero Antinori. And what year was that? That was 1385. It's just incredible that to think that Leonardo da Vinci and all these great masters could have been drinking your <laughs> drinking this wine. Isn't that wild? <laughs> it's, uh, it's true, and um, uh, it's quite strange. And the, the fun thing that I always say that um, is interesting is that at the time, if you go to Florence now, you can find these little windows called finestrelle. And um, basically, when you go to uh, you know inside the small. Um, uh, roads of um, uh, of Florence, you find uh, these little windows that were, and we have one in Palazzo Antinori, which is our building, uh, on the side of the road. Um, it was the way to sell the wine, because from the inside of the building, uh, you could sell the glass of wine to the people who were uh, walking on the, on the little streets of the city. So we were certainly very involved at the time, uh, more being merchants, uh, but um, uh, we were also very involved uh, in the arts. And as you mentioned, uh, you know, great artists and architects and uh, uh, great Renaissance people. Our family was involved obviously in the wines, but also in the arts. How do you think the business has survived so many generations? What was the magic? Uh, we maintained it in the family, transmitting 
the values that we have been always taught from my, ourselves, but to my father, my grandfather, my great-grandfather. And we knew since the beginning that we were very privileged, and we wanted to transmit all this to our future generations. So I think this, uh, which is probably more natural in a city like Florence, uh, which, you know, is a city that has, uh, we have been always surrounded by beauty and by history. It's probably more natural, and uh, we managed to maintain it, which is probably most one of the most challenging things that could have happened in the last uh, many generations. Yeah, to pass on philosophy and tradition and that appreciation, do you have that moment when you realized what your family and what the name Antonori meant on a global scale? Absolutely. I think that, as my father always mentions, that we have been always surrounded by beauty, and you don't appreciate it until really uh, you don't go outside your your town and your where you're coming from. You appreciate it when you you live abroad also. And for me, it happened many times because I was living in Asia for many years, looking after the exports and marketing of our family company, and uh, and also in. Um, uh, when I came to the U.S., so I think you, there you appreciate it because if not, you uh, you live in it and you grow up in it, and uh, uh, you never really give the um, you never give that value that it is of because you have always been used to you know to that. Yeah, exactly. Now, when your father took over the business, uh, Piero, there was a large expansion. How did that growth change so quickly, and what happened during those years? There were certainly years of uh, of innovation in the sense that my father went against the rules for many uh, projects that he has done, and um, this for us was, uh, you know, very important. Uh, but um, he was, in a way, lucky that it was the right period to do it. Uh, but on the other side, because it was a period after the World War, war so there was the opportunity to do it, but you had to dare. And he was not a typical Florentine, or at least not a typical Florentine in those times, um, that in, instead did it and dared and had very innovative ideas. And he was a pioneer of these many innovative ideas. So he really had the luck to have it in the right moment, but he also dared in that moment. So, for example, this is when he created Sassicaia and these Italian wines that were outside of the the rules and the varietals that people were typically using. Yes, he created in reality the Tignanello and the Solaia. Uh, Sassicaia was uh, created uh, by my um, uh, one of my uh, cousins. My father created the Tignanello, which has been a very important wine because it really signed the Renaissance. It was the turning point of quality in uh, in Italy, especially for the high-quality red wines, because Italy was known before that to be producing more quantity than quality. And this was a very important moment for us, but for the Italian image of high-quality red wine. With the Tignanello, he went against the rules and preferred to, to produce a wine that was of higher quality, uh, but it was called Vino da Tavola, so it was declassified from a normal Chianti Classico. Because of the varietals? Because of the percentages of the varietals. Mm -hmm. And uh, so it was only a 5% more that it was admitted. Uh, but he introduced the Cabernet Sauvignon and the Cabernet Franc in the Chianti Classico. And those weren't varieties that were known at all at the time. And he blended them with Sangiovese, which is the indigenous variety from the Chianti Classico. 
And so this was sort of the beginning of the super Tuscan era, which, as we know, is still strong and very vital today. Absolutely was the beginning. It was 1971, the first vintage of Pignanello. And nowadays, the Super Tuscans is a category uh, of wines. Uh, they are great producers. Uh, so we have been, I would say, the first ones to produce a blended wine with Sangiovese and Cabernet coming from the Chianti Classico in the 1970s. Another thing to add to the 26 generations of history. Of history. Uh, so one other thing that's interesting is that within 26 generations, this was the first generation where there were no male heirs. Do you want to tell the story about how the estate might have been at risk and how the the family history was passed along to you and your sisters? Uh, the state would have been at risk at a certain point, especially in the 1980s and the beginning of the 1990s, because we were three sisters, and uh, my father wasn't certain that we would have really worked in the business or that we were interested in the business. As it was normal at the time, we're talking about the 80s, uh, many years ago, uh, women involved in agriculture and winemaking, there weren't really many, if not at all, neither one, probably. So it was very... Um, Different. It would have been very different. So uh, he wasn't certain about that. But then at some point, my sister Albiera started to work with him. When she was immediately a teen, she couldn't neither go to university to college because he wanted her immediately to work with him. And it, it was also an important moment because he was the company was really expanding at the time. So they were very important years. And uh, and then after that, uh, it came quite natural. Also, we were never obliged. And we um, uh, we were involved in the company since uh, you know since uh, my sister Lega since she was eighteen, but even before you know. And uh, myself, I went to university winemaking, and so after that, I was immediately involved uh, in the company. So nowadays, it's more normal because women are more involved in the wine businesses. But if you go back so many years, I think for my father, it was. Uh, uh, you know, the question that if we, the doubt that if we were, we could be involved was certainly something that he, he had, but I think now he is very happy about uh, what uh, he has. Yeah, have female perspective and, and palate. Nowadays, there's the future generation, which is the 27 generation, which is not yet on board, but uh, we have four boys and two girls. So we'll see if they will be involved. Uh, but certainly there are more opportunities because there are more men. So that could be interesting, too. If you're just tuning in, you're hearing the voice of Alessia Antonori, the winemaker from the legendary Antonori family in Italy. She was just speaking about how her generation, uh, it's only female heirs now and what it was like to take over their family's business. So what are your roles and your two sisters' roles at the winery today? My uh, oldest sister, Albiera, just became the president of the company. Uh, My father is still extremely involved in the company, uh, but... He took this decision, which was, I think, very uh, intelligent, to uh, do this transition during his lifetime. And so she, she is the president, and she has always been looking after the architectural aspects also of our new winery and all the marketing. My sister, Allegra, who is um, uh, in between us, she instead is a vice president of the company, and she has always looked after the hospitality uh, in the new winery that we have built a few years ago, but also in our restaurants called Cantinetta Antinori in Florence. And then we opened a few others in Vienna, Zurich, Moscow, 
Um, and uh, we believe that uh, uh, the way to market Tuscan food with our wines is a very special way to, you know, so to show the, the Florentine culture. And, uh, and then myself, I'm the winemaker. I've studied winemaking and um, vineyard management. Lately, I have been also looking after sales and marketing in uh, Asia for many years, and then also in, um, uh, in the U.S., uh, because I believe that since it's a family company, it's very important to know also different aspects of our company. And I'm the vice president, too, with my, other, with my sister. Let's talk about the property within Tuscany um, and then outside of Italy and then abroad. You've invested and diversified your land and your winemaking. So do you want to explain and share with the audience where your other interests are in Italy and outside of Italy? So we are mainly from Tuscany, from the Chianti Classico, from where we, we own a few estates. Uh, but uh, when my father became president of the company in the 1970s, uh, he started also to concentrate to in other um, areas, wine areas of Tuscany, like Montalcino, Montepulciano, and Bulgari, to produce high-quality red wines. And then he fell in love with a beautiful property in Piemonte called Prunotto to produce Bar- Barolo and Barbarescos. And also on the opposite side, on the hill of Italy, in Puglia, which is a new emerging re- wine region, uh, to produce uh, very interesting indigenous varieties wines uh, with like Negramaro or Alianico with a winery called Tormaris. And this is what really is happening in Italy. Um, I forgot one which was very important for us, but it was uh, more, uh, the, um, I would say, the adventure of my grandfather, which is our winery in Umbria, which is the region south of Tuscany, where we produce the majority of our white wines. And this winery is called Castello della Sala. We also had Maurizio Zanella on the show this season. He was here for the wine festival, and he mentioned some property in Francia Corta too that you, or maybe perhaps your it's father. It's true, and it's in Francia Corta has been my project as a winemaker, my first project. So I started it, and I'm very proud. I'm really a third child, and from there we produce our sparkling wine, Method Champenoise, Francia Corta. And I'm very proud because one, it's a really beautiful estate. And uh, we think that uh, since we have been producing sparkling wines, Method Champenois, since in 1903, uh, that we were one of the first ones to produce this, uh, these wines met with, the, with that method. So we wanted to focus in the most regarded area in Italy called Francia Corta um, to, you know, to pr- be producing there to some uh, some of our wines. You've also spread out into Napa, Chile, Washington, any of those properties that you want to talk about? Uh, these are all projects that we really fell in love with, with, um, with my father when we went to visit the first time, and I was with him most of them, with the exception of Napa Valley. For us, has been uh, probably the most interesting property that we uh, fell in love with in the 1980s. Um, the property is called Antica, which means antique, old, um, in Italian, and also is the short name for Antinori, California, and it's on the hillside of Napa, and in my opinion, it's one of the most beautiful properties that we own, and my father spends a lot of time there because he believes that uh, it has a huge potential, and it's a real, it's, a, it's an estate, a winery that has, uh, also in the wines, you can, you can really find this combination, this blend of old world and new world. Uh, so for us, this is very important. Obviously, we are in the new world and we believe in that area, uh, but uh, we like old world touch. 
Yeah, so that that drive to diversify the winemaking, it's to spread the Antonori style in new terroir, or is it to explore just new winemaking areas and just see what you're capable of doing? I think it's the two in the sense that we really um, are interested in uh, learning from other areas, wine areas of the world. So for us, it's really a lesson to learn and uh uh, but we also like to bring our know-how and to teach, uh, if you can maybe exaggerate with the word teach, and to show what uh, we are doing in, uh, in, in back in Italy. And so speaking of teaching and lessons, are there certain philosophies within the Antonori family that are, have been carried on that you're able to share, or maybe it's some secret, <laughs> some, there's some secret code? There's no, really, there no real secrets. Uh, for us, tradition and innovation are, are very important aspects, tradition of the history of involvement in the family, and also innovation, because through experimentation, we really believe that that's the way to succeed for our wines, obviously focusing and being obsessed on the high quality quality wines and on the quality in general of all our wines from our entry level to our more, you know, important wines. Uh, So we believe that that is very important and to produce wines that have backbone, uh, but also personality, also that are elegant wines. And another probably aspect that is one of the most important ones is that we are family owned and we believe that this is the way to transmit values like passion, integrity, and quality from generation to generation. A lot of winemakers talk about those themes of tradition versus innovation, the old and the new, and currently with the new vanguard of new winemakers. What is your thought as a winemaker about tradition and innovation in your philosophy in winemaking? For us, it's uh, it's something that uh, is reflected in all our wines, from our entry-level wines, from our most important wines. So it's all, there's always a blend of tradition and innovation in really all of our wines. So we totally believe in the two, in these two characteristics. And, uh, you know, being family-owned, this helps a lot. And what about all the gatherings you and your family have had over the years? How many times you've sat at the table together? So we get uh, together in our um, winery in Bulgari, because we are, we have there our family houses and we spend there uh, most of our holidays. So that's the place where we spend more together. Because I, you know, I live in Rome and now I live more in New York. So for me, it's a little bit more difficult to meet with everybody. But that's the place. So we spend a lot of lunches and uh, sometimes dinners, and we taste our blends of wines that we have to bottle. So very simply, we don't open big bottles. We, we try wines that we have to almost bottle. So it's uh, the experimental wine. Oh, so your rituals at the table are obviously eating, maybe saying grace or giving gratitude and then always tasting the newest thing off the, off the line? Yes, yes. It's, uh, it's very simple. We discuss about wine, about business, uh, about, you know, my father's very curious to know always about the, the children because it's the next generation. So for him, it's very important and for us. So within your time in your role as a winemaker there, how have you seen the American wine palette change and what are the greatest shifts in the wine industry since you've been a winemaker? I think that uh, there's more and more interest in uh, the Italian culture in the U.S. I think that there is um, a huge potential of um, an evolution in the wine, uh, Italian, wine uh, Italian culture, which includes food and wine. It has changed a lot in the last 10, 20 years in the U.S., and I think there's more and more interest. Um, it's very interesting, obviously, living in New York, you are more close to 
you know, many more opportunities. And But I see that there are some regions that I would never have thought about before in Italy that could be interesting for, uh, you know, Americans. Instead, slowly, they are very interested. So I think that um, there's more interest, there's more knowledge. And uh, so I, I think this is very interesting. Now there's more also fashion about roses. In Italy, we are producing also very interesting roses. So um, I think that... There's a huge potential for the U.S. market, not only in the most important cities, but also in the secondary cities. If you're just tuning in, this is Camille Broderick, host of Camille's Demi Hour, and we are speaking with Alessia Antonori, the winemaker at the legendary Antonori Winery in Tuscany, Italy. And we were just speaking about the different trends in Italian wine in the U.S. right now, and it's growing into different regions. What regions do you think are sort of hot right now? You mentioned Puglia earlier. I've heard Campania is really on the cusp. Smaller regions like Lazio, obviously Sicily, but also Sardinia. Uh, I think, you know, there's, uh, there's, there's a lot of interest in, uh, in the southern parts of Italy. So I think slowly uh, there will be regions that will be more known. But at the same time, the winemaking has reached a certain level that is at a sophistication that we will enjoy. Or how do you think the timings worked so well? I think that nowadays it's easy to produce a good wine quite easy, especially in certain grape varieties, but it's very difficult to produce an excellent, unique wine. So that's the challenge. So we'll, we should uh, all uh, uh, experiment more and try to really be looking uh, forward to produce great wines that are unique and have a huge personality and also maybe could have also be produced by indigenous grape varieties which Italy is very known from, and um, I think that that can make also the difference. And so what projects are you working on now? I know you mentioned French Accorta, and also you are building a new winery that's more open to the public and for tastings. Is there anything else that's really on your agenda for this year? We are focusing on the Chianti Classico, which for us is very important, has always been historically very important, and the different expressions of Sangiovese. So we are going back to what has been done in the past, uh, many generations, and um, showing that there are different wines made from Sangiovese that are very close to each other, the vineyards, but can really give different wines. So we will be focusing in, the, in this generation on the Chianti Classico and on the Sangiovese. This has been so much fun. Alessia, I can't believe that our time is already up. Every time I speak to a winemaker, it's just never enough. <laughs> There's never enough time. But I am excited to share that you will be coming to the island in the next week or so doing some tastings uh, both at Epernay and at Bricks on the 20th and the 22nd. So that's exciting. Thank you. Thank you very much. I'm really looking forward to come back to Nantucket after so many years. Well, we'll be waiting for you, and we can't wait to meet you in person and to taste your wine. So thanks again for your time today, and uh, we wish you continued 26 more generations of success. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening. This is Camille's Demi Hour on 89.5 Nantucket's NPR station. Tune in every weekend, Saturday and Sunday at 12.35 p.m. Cheers. Cheers.